Morning. Uh, if you are here for the first time and don't uh, know me, my name is Roman Gonzalez, and I am the assistant pastor of Ironworks uh, Church. Um, and today I'm going to be bringing the Word of God to you. In his uh, book, Common Sense, Thomas Paine, the great influencer of 1776, uh, says, <clears throat> Society in every state is a blessing, but government, even in its best state, is but a necessary evil. A necessary evil. So Paine believed that government is a necessary evil, but he was not alone uh, uh, believing this. Paine actually was building upon the theology of St. Augustine. Um, for Augustine, the government is supposed to restrain evil, and to do that, the government has to use force. So that makes it a necessary evil. In other words, one evil <clears throat> to control more evil. Uh, and the reason why he, uh, Augustine, understood, uh, th think, uh, used to think that way is because he understood government as a, as a byproduct of the fall. In his view, government would not be necessary if it were not <clears throat> because of the sin of man. Think about this. In a perfect world, everyone would only do good. In a perfect world, <clears throat> no one uh, would misbehave. All would be good to one another. No criminals, no lawbreakers. So government would not be necessary to regulate civil conduct. So that's his logic. But is this really the case? Is government a byproduct of the fall? And therefore, um, as Thomas Paine and Augustine, should we agree that government is a necessary evil? I think this way of thinking is, um, creates some, some problems. And I think one of them is viewing authority as something bad in and of itself, and also, it creates, uh, it leaves Christians without a solid foundation to live in a society in a proper way. And I, uh, the text that we are going to be considering today uh, talks about this. Uh, so, therefore, I, I'll, I'll invite um, Josh Sawyer to come up and read the Bible, the scripture for us today. All right, this is the word of the Lord. Romans 13, 1 to 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, 
an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. The authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Josh. <clears throat> so we are now considering the section um, known as the practical session, section of the letter to the Romans. And what I'm going to uh, do in the first place, and this is, my, this is going to be my first point, I want to give you the context to, uh, that is going to help us to understand uh, Romans chapter 13 and also the rest of the letter. <clears throat> in this section, Paul explains how the gospel should be lived out and how those who have been justified by faith alone in Christ alone are supposed to conduct themselves. That's, that's basically um, what he is doing here. So in chapter 12, as you will remember, um, Paul exhorts the Roman church to do two things, and you know them probably. The first one is to present their bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And the second uh, is that to not be conformed to this world. So the first one is to be a living sacrifice, and the second one <clears throat> is to not be conformed to this world. Now, these two commands are the introduction to the second part of the letter and function as the framework in which we should understand the rest of it. In other words, they serve, these two commands, they serve as a framework for understanding the particular, the particular commands in this section of the letter. All of them, all of them are encompassed um, in these two commandments. The implications of taking these two commands as the framework to understanding the rest of the letter is huge because it means in the first place that the Christian life is profoundly religious. This is a, a very counter-cultural um, way to put it, but listen to me again. The Christian life is profoundly religious because the whole of it constitutes spiritual worship. So Paul exhorts uh, Christians in Rome to worship God in all areas of their lives. And this is also the framework in which we should understand Paul commands to submit to the governing authorities. In other words, <clears throat> civil obedience is an expression of worshiping God. Civil obedience is an expression of worshiping God according to Paul. Fulfilling your political duties is a profound 
religious matter because in being good citizens, you worship God. That's what Paul is basically saying. So Christians worship God by properly submitting to the righteous and moral demands of the civil government. Please listen to it. Um, to me well. I'm trying to be careful in how I say it. But this is what Paul is um, saying to us. Christians worship God by properly submitting to the righteous and moral demands of civil government. So whatever I'm going to say from this point on, I, I would like you to listen carefully um, with this context in mind. When I say submission to the, to the go, uh, governing authorities is uh, in a proper way and to righteous and moral demands. So Paul exhorts the church in Rome to consider how good, how kind, how gracious, how merciful God has been to them and based on that, tells them to conduct themselves as good citizens in the Roman Empire. And you remember who was ruling over Rome at this time, Nero. So what are the implications for us? Well, it means, in the first place, that you do not stop worshiping God when the public worship service ends here at Ironworks. You do not stop worshiping God when the public worship service ends. Your whole life should be and is sacred before God. You live 27 Koran Deo, as it is said. In other words, before the face of God. So when treating the police officer, be respectful of his office, is what Paul is saying. When you are before the judge, honor his title. When you elect your congressman, be wise in doing so. In short, fulfill all your civil duties in a way that expresses worship to God. When you vote, whenever, whatever you vote for, whether you vote red or blue, do it in a way that adorns the doctrine of Christ. That is something good in of itself. That's something that God actually commands us. So this is basically the context in which um, Paul is giving us the, the command. So after considering the context in which uh, Paul gives us his command, let us now consider the command itself. And the command is, in, uh, from verse 1 to 7, there is just one command, basically, and it's this. Let every person submit to the governing authorities. And we first must understand that Paul is not absolute or exhaustive in giving us this command. That's, uh, to begin with, something that we need to keep in mind. He is not saying that Christians in Rome are to submit to the civil government no matter what, 
or without making moral judgments. We are called to do that, actually. But neither is he writing a treaty on political theology. Paul does not speak of evil governing authorities, although Nero is the one in power back in those days. He, do, he doesn't mention it. <clears throat> he does not discuss whether somebody should prefer democracy over monarchy, which is irrelevant to Paul's point. What he wants to emphasize, or the point that he wants to make, is the point of submission. <clears throat> so, in general, it is a Christian responsibility to submit to the civil authority. Notice that the, the text also says who is to submit to the governing uh, authorities, and it says every person. Actually, in the original, it says every soul. That is, the command is addressed to every citizen. Christians and non-Christians are included there. So now, what is the meaning of submission here? Well, submission means reverence and respect. Matthew Henry, the theologian Matthew Henry, the Puritan Matthew Henry, says that it is reverence and respect both in speaking to them and in speaking of them. Uh, as I said, we should not forget that back in these days when Paul uh, writes this letter, uh, Nero was the Roman emperor at this time. Uh, and you will remember that Nero has been called one of the weakest emperors in the empire. And actually, according to tradition, uh, Paul would die under his rule. But here we have Paul saying, submit to the authorities. So why is Paul calling Christians in Rome to submit to the civil government? What's, what's going on there? Well, Matthew Henry also help us, helps us understand the historical context and what's going on uh, in Rome, and he says that Christians in Rome did not enjoy good reputation, a good reputation. They didn't enjoy a good reputation. Being a Christian was so unpopular there. Christians were accused of being enemies of the state, enemies of the public order. So Paul, for the obviating of this reproach and the clearing of Christianity from it, shows that obedience to civil magistrate to the civil magistrate is one of the laws of Christ. Obedience to civil magistrates is one of the law of Christ, whose religion helps to make people good subjects. And it was very unjust, um, Matthew Henry says, uh, to charge upon Christianity that fa uh, faction and rebellion to which its principles and rules are so directly contrary. Now, does this uh, mean that it is never lawful for Christians to exercise civil disobedience? 
Of course not. Uh, I'm pretty sure you remember Daniel and his friends, right? Uh, when they were taken to Babylon, uh, you will remember that King uh, Darius, um, he, uh, th there was a, a law that was created that says that in Babylon, no one was allowed to pray or ask anything to any man or to any god but to King Darius only. And when Daniel knew that the document was signed, we read in, in uh, well, the Bible uh, says, when Daniel knew uh, that the document had been signed, he went to his house and got on his knees with the windows open facing Jerusalem. And he prayed three times a day as he used to be before the document or the law was signed. Okay, so here Daniel disobeyed the king. And what is the principle that we uh, have from here is that the only time when uh, actually we read in the Bible that Daniel, uh, Daniel disobeyed the king is when worshiping God was being compromised. That was the only time when he disobeyed God. And this is a principle also for us. Christians, we are allowed to exercise civil disobedience, but only when the uh, demands of civil government are in contradiction to the demands of the law of God. But other than that, we are to submit to the authorities. Now, in the same verse, Paul explain, explains the reason for the command. If you continue uh, reading um, uh, verse 1, Paul explain, uh, uh, give us the reason for the command. The governing authorities, he says, have divine origin. They come from God and are established by God. And in giving us, the, uh, giving us the reason for submitting to them, Paul takes us to another dimension, the dimension of God's sovereignty and providence, the dimension where God controls everything that happens in the world, including those who rule the nations. Now, if you remember the Westminster Confession, uh, the, the, uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism describes God's works uh, of providence as, listen, his most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing of all his creatures and all of their actions. This is what it means that authorities come from God and are established by God. That is, that God rules the world through them. That God rules the world through them. Listen to what um, theologian Charles Hodge says in his commentary to the Westminster Confession of Faith, because our Confession of Faith talks about the government. 
and speaking of why we should obey the authorities, he says, because as a providential ruler, because as a providential ruler of the, of the world, God uses civil government as his instrument in promoting the great ends of redemption in the building of his kingdom in the world. Do you hear that? Let me say it again. God uses civil government to promote the great ends of redemption. What? Also the bad ones? Well, this is mystery. And that's why Paul is saying the authority comes from God, right? But think about that. God in his purpose of redemption is using everything. He is bringing, he is bringing history to a consummation for when the king of kings will come to fully establish his kingdom and reign over all. But this also remind, uh, reminds us of the Noetic covenant. Let me, let me talk to you about that for a little bit. The Noetic covenant, or the covenant with Noah, yeah, is the covenant between God and all creation, if you, if you remember. And arguably, in this covenant, there is not promise of redemption, but of preservation. This is important to understand. There is no promise of redemption, but of preservation. God promised to preserve the world so that it would become the scenario for the work of redemption. The world as we know it, the world as we know it, broken and subject to decay, becomes this, uh, the sphere where God's glory shines through Christ's work of redemption. So if you, if you see darkness in the world, well, that's the scenario uh, for the shining of the gr uh, gracious glory of God. As John 1, uh, 5 says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness have not overcome it. I love how uh, someone puts it. I tried to, to check who said this, and I couldn't, but I took it from Ligonier, uh, the website, uh, um, the Ligonier website. But he says, in this predictable order, people will flourish. And he's talking again about the covenant uh, with Noah. And an arena will exist for him to enter history via the incarnation of Christ uh, and save his people. This is beautiful. The reason why God is preserving the world is so that Christ will fulfill his work of redemption. Why the world hasn't been destroyed is because God is still working out his work of redemption. So in the same way, God uses the government to promote his goal of redeeming a people for himself. Think about how was it possible for the church 
to spread the gospel. For, exa for example, the building of roads throughout the Roman Empire made it easier for Christians to travel around the world of that time and spread the good news of the gospel. That is what Hodge means by promoting the end of um, redemption. But also notice uh, that Hodge distinguishes between the end of redemption and civil government. Okay? There is a distinction between the ends of redemption and civil government. The two are not the same, and we should not confuse them. The two are not the same, and we should not confuse them. One thing is that civil government can be used as an instrument in God's hands to fulfill his eternal purpose in redemption or of redemption. And another thing is that redemption would come, uh, in another thing, excuse me, is to think that redemption would come from civil government. Okay? So many Christians struggle to understand this distinction and confused the task or, or the work of the government and expect more of the government. Paul would discourage us from thinking this way. Um, so sometimes uh, uh, that's, that's the reason actually that sometimes um, people would um, get involved in really um, uh, hard conversations because there, there, there is no that understanding. Laws can be created uh, in society, but laws would not transform the heart of sinful people. And that's the job of the government, and they can, or, or, or the laws would not transform the, the heart issues of the people. Well, that's my, my second point. Um, let me begin my, my third point. And in my third point, I would like to um, analyze the question from the beginning of my sermon. Is government a necessary evil? Uh, St. Augustine and Thomas uh, Paine write in saying that government is a necessary evil. Well, the, the way I would like to answer uh, this uh, question is by uh, saying that in his book, uh, Kingdom Prologue, the theologian Meredith Klein, he convincingly argues that government and authority were part of the state of affairs uh, that God created. Authority and human government are part of reality right from the beginning. God created the cosmos, the world, this way. Okay? And speaking of this, uh, clients talk about the covenant of creation. And in this, in this section, when he is talking about the covenant of creation, 
he makes a distinction between the pre-Lapsarian world and the post-Lapsarian world. And those are just fancy terms to refer to the world before the fall and the world after the fall, the pre-Lapsarian world and the post-Lapsarian world, the world before and after uh, the fall. Um, but although Klein distinguishes between the state of affairs before the world and also after the fall, the distinction that he makes is not radically different regarding uh, the basic structure in which God created the world. And I, I'm, I'm saying the world, but also I mean reality. Uh, the world retains its fundamental structure um, but now, after the fall, the world is stained with sin. Okay, so according to Klein, before the fall, God established a theocracy where God himself was sovereign king, having man as his uh, vice uh, regent in the world that has been newly created. And although he acknowledges that the state as a political entity would not exist as we know it now, he says the following thing. He says, this is not to say that a structured form of government at the human level was, incom uh, was incompatible with God's supreme authority in the theocracy. However, such government, he says, or such governmental structure we have to be confessionally subservient to the lordship of the great king enthroned in the theocratic sanctuary and, subordinate, uh, and subordinated to the theocratic cultus. That was a long uh, quote. But basically what he says is that before the world, the kind of government that existed was a theocracy. But he says that not the kind of theocracy that we know. The theocracy that we know, all of us, we are familiar with some kind of theocracy, but all those theocracy, theocracies are before, I'm sorry, after the fall. We, we didn't get to live in that, in that world. Uh, this theocracy is different to the one that Israel, in the nations around Israel, um, had. He says, polity of the, uh, the polity of the covenant community was theocratic. And this is what he means by the term theocracy, which is something that none of us experience but just Adam and Eve before the fall. So uh, God was and he's defining this theocracy again. God was, in truth, the ruler and protector of the family kingdom of mankind. He was their ultimate father, and they bore his surname. Okay, so when, when God placed men in the garden, God called men and actually enabled men to imitate God. His imitation of God was possible because man was created in God's image. 
And again, Klein says, man's office, of, uh, office and function in relation to the construction of the, uh, uh, excuse me, man's office and functions in relation to the construction of the kingdom city were designed to be a human reflection of the authority and activity of the Lord. Okay? All the ways in which man was supposed to behave and act previously to or, or, or before the fall were designed to be a human reflection of the authority and activity of the Lord creator and governor of the world. And since God's work was creative, sustaining, and governing, so too, on a creaturely level, was man's. So in all, uh, in all the varieties of his uh, cultural laboring to subdue the earth, like also raising children, man was imitating God. And, 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 and he was doing as God did in his providential preserving and gover uh, governing of the world as a place which, through its fullness of provision, supported man's bodily life. So Klein, as you can tell, differs from Augustine and Thomas Paine in that government is a necessary evil. Government is something good that existed even before the fall. It points us to the day when the sovereign king, Jesus, will displace all his power on us in a fully renewed world back to the original state of affair before the fall. So in, in a sense, the world, the whole creation is walking towards a theocratic government. When Christ will be the sovereign king, the day is coming when God in Christ will fully unite everything under Christ in the eschatological era or in the last time because it was the original plan from the beginning. Listen to what Ephesians says about this. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan to the fullness of time, and then to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Moreover, this is going to happen because Christ himself is the goal of everything, even of civil government. Christ himself is the goal of everything. Even civil government exists for Christ in the ultimate sense. Listen to what Colossians 1:16 says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Um, I don't know if you have heard about who Douglas Wilson is, but he's, he's a theologian that is 
funny and sometimes he would say things uh, in, in a fun way, I would say. And he says, today I am Republican, but I know that in the new creation, I'm, I'm going to be, uh, I mean, I'm going to live in a theocracy. And what he means by that is that in Christ, there is a time that in Christ, everything would be united. And God is going to take his whole creation, not only to what it was originally, but also one step further, because we are not going to be in a state of probation anymore. But in terms of how good and perfect the world would be, um, God is going to take us there. But that doesn't mean that we are not going to be submitting to anyone. Yeah? When we practice submission here on earth, it's a rehearsal of our hearts being willing to submit to Christ himself in the coming era. Please stand up. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and it is a joy to give you thanks and praise, O Lord our God. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have made Christ the Lord of all. Thank you that you have um, called him the Lord of all creation and the Lord of new creation. We praise you for uh, making him the Lord of all things. Um, so we join our voices with all the company of heaven in their unending hymn of praise.